Post-acute care is a challenge. Patients want to get out of the hospital and back to their homes, but care transitions can be challenging and sometimes result in a hospital readmission. That's a disappointing and costly outcome. Today's guest, Brian Lobley, is CEO of Tango, which helps patients get quality care at home. I'm eager to learn how it's done. Hi, everyone. I'm David Williams, president of strategy consulting firm Health Business Group and host of the Health Biz Podcast, a weekly show where I interview top healthcare leaders about their lives and careers. If you like this show, please subscribe and leave a review. Brian, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. Thanks for having me, David. I want to talk about uh, what you're up to now, but first, let's uh, wind the clock back. I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, your upbringing, any childhood influences that have stuck with you through your career. Oh, well, uh, a lot of childhood influences. So um, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. I'm actually calling you from uh, here in Philadelphia uh, right now as well. So um, spent most of my life here, although Tango is headquartered out in Phoenix. So kind of uh, doing the, the warm weather, weather jaunt when necessary as well. Um, spent uh, most of my life in healthcare, so worked for the Blues. I was chief operating officer at Independence Health Group, was a Blues plan in the Philadelphia area. Um, but uh, I would say a lot of my influences are, are kind of the, the Philadelphia uh, story, you know, raised in a city um, and uh, blue collar and uh, influenced a lot by my sports teams, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly, as you think yeah. about the Eagles, Philly, Sixers, Flyers, et cetera. So diehard sports fan. Um, and kind of, you know, in some ways live and die with, uh, how successful or unsuccessful my Eagles are. So that's, uh, probably S still one of the big influences for me. Sounds good. Now, does it live up to its, uh, city of brotherly love reputation or is that just what people from outside Philly call it? Nah, it lives up to it. City of, uh, brotherly love and sisterly affection as we've added in. So nice. yeah, it still, still holds true today. Yeah. Very good. Now they say it takes two to tango. So you gotta be in Philly and out in Arizona at the same time. Maybe exactly. that's the, uh, the reasoning for that. Good. Now, what did you do after, um, you know, after high school in terms of education? I went to, yeah, I went to college at uh, Lehigh University. So I was an engineer, um, just about an hour and a half north of Philly. Um, one of the rare people started in the business school, then transferred into the engineering school. And the dean of the engineering school said, uh, we're usually having the reverse conversations. Yeah. Why do you want to, why do you want to become an engineer? But, you know, I'm an analytical kind of zeros and one guy at my heart. So um, did industrial engineering. Um, which had, you know, kind of a more of a business tilt than say like yeah. mechanical or civil engineering. So then um, did a quick IT consulting stint after college, moved to DC, um, loved my time there, worked for a company uh, called America Management Systems, was working on federal government for projects, uh, but, you know, kind of home called, wanted to come back to Philly and uh, started at Independence Blue Cross, you know, way back in 2001 yeah. as an analyst, you know, just kind of built my career from that point forward. Sounds good. And what was it like at Independence? I mean, they're like big blues there, you know, big influence. Yeah, I mean, it, it was great. It was a great career. Um, I would say the mission orientation kind of has followed through with me, right? A nonprofit, blue-oriented, kind of mission-driven healthcare company. Um, so really um, not having to answer to kind of the public market is, is a unique challenge there. Um, in many cases, you're seen as the insurer of last resort. So it dictated, you know, products and services and strategy. Um, but I would say kind of that kind of hallmark of kind of community focused care and, you know, kind of patient centricity. I mean, everybody believes in it, but I think is when you work for a blue, it's, it's kind of an endemic and of all the yeah. business practices. So yeah, lived and breathed it. I mean, I, I loved it and, you know, have uh, a lot of fond memories from my time there. Now, how did Tango come about? Was that, was that connected to what you're doing at Independence? 
Uh, not not quite exactly. Um, I left independence in June of 22. Um, I was very fortunate that one of my accountabilities there when I was chief operating officer is I all the lines of business reported up to me. So Medicare uh, was a, a big line of business. We were very successful and fortunate upon departure there. We, we had a back-to-back five-star plan in, in nice. an urban market. Really hard to do. Um, so, so loved Medicare business thought big growth market. Um, and, you know, I was looking for something that was really growth oriented. I um, had accountability for a lot of our kind of strategies and partnerships as well. Um, so I'd done some stuff with Comcast, actually, it was a joint venture we launched called Quill. We were trying to kind of activate the home as a healthcare setting, right? It, it's where everybody wants to do everything, anyway, yeah. recover, et cetera. So I, I had this interest in kind of getting to a company that could go on a pretty significant growth journey. So I knew that more of the, the private equity sector was going to be um, something that appealed to me. And quite frankly, when I had the outreach of, of what was called PHCN, we rebranded to Tango Professional Healthcare Network, it seemed to be this perfect blend of the right market segment, which is you know primarily seniors and Medicare Advantage, the right care setting, which is the home. I mean, I have older yeah. parents and you know they want to age at home, they want to care at home. Um, and then, you know, a market that needed some disruption. So you mentioned in your intro, like what post-acute is, well, yeah, it's kind of like the last frontier of healthcare. Like we've spent our time on cardiac and ortho yeah. and inpatient. And it's, when you think about that discharge, like, you know, usually it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. The reality is what happens when you're discharged, you get back in the hospital, in the emergency room. So it yeah. kind of is that last frontier that hasn't been taken on yet. So I was really interested in the challenge and love the business model. Now, how has the role of the home changed in healthcare? As you're saying, sort of in the healthcare industry, it's maybe has been a little bit of an oversight, sort of considered outside the system, but it's sort of also where where care started. I mean, with house calls and stuff back before you had hospitals, I mean, that's where care did occur. I, you're completely right. I, I, the, the misnomer is that the home is now an important part of care. It's always been, to your point, that's how doctors started. Primary care, care docs went door to door. I think what was kind of lost is what could actually be done in the home, right? You know, obviously medical advancements, treatments, imaging, med device, you know, that is an inpatient setting, right? So this ability to kind of pull people into the hospital was, was critically important. But I think as that happened, I think we've lost sight of a little bit of like, everybody still eventually gets home to recover, right? Even if you're going to like a skilled nursing facility as a, you know, layover, you know, on the way home, you ultimately want to get home. So I, I don't know that necessarily the home has changed as much. Regard, really what happened is the priority was like, how fast can we get someone there? So COVID's a great example, right? Everybody was yeah. like, COVID changed it. It actually wasn't. All it was an accelerant. It's like, you know, gasoline on the fire. It just made it like more prevalent that, oh my God, you're stuck in this institution. Things are happening. You're there too long. When the realities are like, let me just get back to my own bed, right? So I think this last couple of years, nursing shortages, things that have happened to maybe exacerbate the length of stay is because we don't have enough supply side on the home. So I don't think it's this like dramatic, like realization that everybody woke up and said, oh, the home's a great place. We all knew it. Now it's actually getting the right pieces of care that can be delivered there. And technology has helped, but I think also the the rising cost of healthcare has, has helped a lot. It's certainly a lower cost setting. Well, let's talk about technology for a minute, because as we were saying, uh, the care started in the home, and then there's some of the high technology in medicine that actually got people into the hospital. But now there's some technology, I think, in the same way that you've got you know, the personal computer first, smartphones, et cetera. Technology is perhaps uh, enabling more to be done in the home that previously would have been more of a hospital level or at least physician office level of care. Do you, do you see that, or is that also not really a big 
big factor. No, I, I, I think it's a huge factor. So telehealth, right? Uh, again, COVID helped explode that where people can actually get um, care questions answered and a set of diagnostic services done, right? That eliminates everything from drive time back and forth to, um, you know, maybe more improves efficiency from a physician, right? If I can handle three, four or five virtual visits in a row, you know, that's probably a three X factor of what I can do in the home. And then things like remote patient monitoring. I mean, you know, people are going home with blood pressure cuffs and, you know, weight scales and things like that. And that's this world of interconnectivity, right? We all have it in our house for entertainment and everything else, right? We're in the yeah. IOT world, right? Internet of things. I think now it's like, all right, well, can I actually upload my BP, you know, every three hours so that a doc can see it? Or can I answer an app that's asking me, do I have anxiety, you know, 24, 48 hours post-discharge? Yes. Now that intervention can actually ha happen with a phone call or with an accelerated home visit. So I think we're a little bit of the, the dawn of the tech space being kind of, you know, bringing more care, actual care into the home. But I think yeah. connectivity is there from communications and follow-ups and kind of data aggregation. I think we're, we're in a pretty exciting space right now. So workforce shortage is, is such a common issue across the economy, particularly in healthcare. Maybe we can sort out a little bit how that affects the home. Because on the one hand, if you're saying yes, obviously it's very labor intensive to send somebody from, from home to home and you can do more with telehealth. On the other hand, some of the things that I've heard about, like hospital at home, actually probably take more workforce since a nurse can't be in, you know, can't serve 15 patients if they're, you know, if they're in the hospital at home. How does workforce kind of tie in? How does it net out uh, when we're dealing with uh, care at home? Yeah, I think it's a really good point, right? There is a global nursing shortage, right? If you just think on an aggregate, whether that's inpatient, outpatient, home, right? So now you flip that back to like a simple economic equation, like where's the financial reward to be able to compensate people for doing the right thing? And I think, you know, as we look at kind of the home, how are we making sure that home health agencies, home health nurses are actually getting compensated for the holistic total cost of care they're impacted? It's not just the 45 minutes to an hour they're in the home, it's the impact they've had in that 45 to 50 to 55 minutes to make sure that the next day that person isn't driving to the emergency room because they have a question or that person's not readmitting back into the hospital because their needs aren't met. So I think this realization that, you know, we have to compensate holistically from an outcomes base, right? It's been long thought of an inpatient care, right? DRG payments and the like, yeah. we'll pay you for an episode, we'll pay you for outcomes, we'll pay you for, you know, the ability to keep people kind of home, the value-based care buzz, right? I think now in, in post-acute and especially home, it's, it's really driving that education on and saying, well, what are you impacting holistically, right? What was your rate of return to the hospital? when it was taken six, seven, eight days post-discharge for a nurse to visit the home versus someone being in the home 48 hours post-discharge, right? You get to home, eat your DME supplies there, you know, understanding how to care for yourself. Are you educating the caregiver? That takes time. Well, the sooner you do that, the best that person's getting on like a routine and a path. So I think on a workforce side, it's really making sure the equation's balanced, right? Inpatient care, critically important, right? Surgeries, et cetera. But extending that through to the kind of the whole continuum of care, it's, it's really making sure everybody understands what's an episodic cost and how do we pay for it? How do we make sure we reimburse for it? I think that's the, that's the secret sauce that, that everybody in post-acute is trying to solve right now. You know, value-based care is something that, that we talk about, but it still is a little bit rooted in the fee-for-service world and looking at where the kind of the infrastructure and the capital is. So still a lot of the funds go to hospitals, even if we may say that 
primary care or home care uh, may be more cost effective. We have an interesting situation in uh, Massachusetts now, and I don't mean that our teams are as bad as the Philly teams, which is also a, an issue which we could talk about separately, <laughs> but uh, rather with Steward Healthcare, you know, there's this concern with because of Steward's financial problems that all these hospitals are under stress and everyone's looking how to save them. But it's actually, you know, the other approach would be to say, this is one of those rare opportunities. Maybe those hospitals should just close and uh, have the funds sort of, you know, reinvested in community-based care, home care, primary care, and reset the incentives uh, so that actually works out financially for the providers. People want to be at home anyway, or, you know, in a, in a physician office rather than go into the uh, to the hospital. So I don't think that opportunity is going to be acted on here, but I, I, I do see that opportunity. I do see the possibility of a reset. Yeah. I mean, we've seen hospitals close here in Philadelphia. Um, you know, one of the largest hospitals closed uh, a few years ago. And I think what you have to map is kind of the need of those services, available beds, right? Across the population. Cause you got commercial, Cade, Medicare, right? Duals, um, underserved, underfunded, right? How do you make sure that those critical beds are available for critical access, right? So, so that kind of algorithm or that matching is critically important. I mean, you hear all the time, oh, the, there's, there's too many beds. Yeah. How many times do you go into a hospital and see empty beds? Not, not a yeah. lot, right? So I think it's more of making sure there's really an understanding of, of it's like a team sport, right? Like I, I'm a big believer in providers, insurers, services, like we got to work together as opposed to saying, okay, how do we push the bullet where insurers did really well during COVID and hospitals didn't. And now there's a bounce back and saying, oh, well, we got to, we got to write the system right now. We got to take yeah. money from the insurers and push it back. It's, yeah, you got to look at this longitudinally. And, and I think over time, cause you're going to have ebbs and flows, utilization increases, elective surgeries, et cetera. So it, it, it is like a complex, um, you know, math equation. So I, I don't think you can just point to and say, oh, there's, there's too many beds because they're financially yeah. constrained. It's like, well, what's, what's the root cause of the financial constraint? Is it reimbursement? Cause this hospital is serving more of the underserved and the reimbursement is mm -hmm. lo lower versus a suburban hospital that's having higher rate. Cause the demographics are, you know, wealthier. Uh, it's, it's a complex economic equation. And yeah. I think it has to be looked at holistically. Fair enough. So you pointed to different populations or different payer types anyway, and I'm wondering from Tango's perspective, what are some of the key differences of serving populations from different payer types? I'm talking about Medicare Advantage, commercial, Medicaid, the dual eligible between Medicaid and Medicare. Yeah, it's really what we look at as a population and what's the percentage of home health use within that subset of a population. So if you think about Medicare Advantage, right, 65 and over, you're going to have the highest usage of utilization within that population of home health. Typically, we like to see a number between 6 and 8% of the population is using home health services for MA. That increases a little bit when you get to duals because um, you're seeing a higher risk patient, you know, most likely polychronic, right? And they're going to be probably at the 10% you know, kind of utilization or above. You go to Medicaid, actually the utilization drops significantly because what's mm. usually on a Medicaid book is a lot of, you know, kids and moms, right? So you're having a, a lower use of home health. And then commercial, um, you know, probably is is the kind of the last mile of, of pretty low utilization if you're thinking yeah. about a total book of a large self-funded employer, right? There's not a lot of home health usage. So we prioritize kind of Medicare and, and duals as our primary impact because we can manage yeah. a larger population. Then I would say Medicaid um, and then duals, but we can go in and activate a market because it's, you know, you don't want to have like 
duels manage over here and Medicare manage over here. Ideally, you're you're managing a market together, but this is certainly primarily a senior and duels, you know, kind of kind of problem today. We hear a lot about uh, patient engagement in healthcare, and what does patient engagement mean when we're talking about home health? Um, so I think you have to redefine when you're talking about home health because sometimes it's like the patient cohort, right? It's not necessarily just the patient who's the caregiver, right? Again, going back to the notion of it's a primarily a senior or duals marketplace, there's probably a caregiver involved. So how do we think of a care circle and are we engaging both the patient and who's the primary caregiver? So they're understanding what's available to them, what resources do they need? How frequently did they need those resources and what's available to them kind of outside the visit, right? A lot of things happen if a visit's on Monday and the second visit's on Thursday, what happens on Tuesday and Wednesday? Like, what's the release valve? What's the call? Like, how do you coordinate supplies? So I think kind of patient engagement takes a, a little bit of a broader term when you're talking about home, right? It's kind of who's all involved in that care, but then it's actually having communication, right? So, you know, we've rolled out, um, you know, not only some, some calls that we make, but some virtual touch points with a messaging system so that we can communicate with that member real time where if they need to access us, you know, they can send a message in or we'll do check-ins. Like, how are you feeling today? You know, things as simple as anxiety and elevated anxiety could lead to an emergency room visit. So how do we get out ahead of that? So I think it's, you know, in, in engaging the patient is, is making sure you're communicating, making sure you're available, but then making sure who's also around the patient. What's, what's the home look like holistically? And it's, um, you know, look easier said than done, right? As you think about, um, who the patient, you know, is dealing with on a Tuesday might be different than a Wednesday, right? Maybe the daughter's there on Tuesday and the next day it's son and probably daughters are taking better care of their moms than sons, right? So we have to kind of play that dynamic as well. Got it. Who do you think about as your customer for Tango? Um, first and foremost, it's the payer. So we go to a payer and say, we'll deal with post-acute, like we'll activate the home. So we'll be fully delegated. So we take accountability for claims, for network, for utilization management. We're one-stop shopping, right? We'll say, we'll, we'll make sure we get home health and, and increasingly post-acute taken care of. Um, but and then in the same way, we go to our providers and we enable them. So we're we're kind of like the anti-convener, we say. Our, our play is yeah. enablement, right? We want to enable payers and providers. So it's important that we understand what the provider's capability is in a market. Maybe there's a really great wound care provider. It's a complex, you know, post-discharge case. Well, we want to make sure that patient is getting seen by someone with the right wound care expertise. Or other thing is availability, right? The most important thing I talked about earlier is getting that patient seen in the first 24 to 48 hours. So who has availability? So we're looking at acceptance rate. So when we go into a market, we understand the provider's disposition and even these national providers, right? They're different in the Northeast than they are the Southeast. They're different in urban versus rural. So while our, our primary financial customer is the payer, we really think of our partners as, as the providers as well. Got it. So you mentioned before that the company's name has changed to Tango. And why make that branding change and what is Tango meant to evoke? Yeah, so um, former company PHCN, Professional Healthcare Network, um, legacy markets were um, more focused on kind of the traditional utilization management model and kind of Tango signified kind of this new year of enabling value-based care. So we wanted a new brand to connotate kind of where we see the market moving. 
Um, and this idea of enablement, right? We wanted an action-oriented word that says like, you know, we're here to partner. So look, naturally you said it earlier, where it's two takes two to tango, right? So we're having that conversation. Like it's not just us, like we need someone on the other side to partner with us. So there's a little bit of the play on the word there as well. Um, we also wanted something that was memorable, right? What's something that you can say, oh yeah, tango's in market. That's great. If we're sitting in discharge planning, ooh, tango. Yeah, we like them. We know what they can go serve us versus, you know, something that's a nebulous acronym. No, it sounds good. You just have to make sure not to step on your partner's feet, I guess, is the only Exactly, uh, right? Got to be delicate, delicate toes. Good. So my last question, Brian, for you is whether you've read any good books lately, anything that you would recommend to our audience? Oh, great question. I am a self-subscribed escapist reader, right? So I'm reading articles all week from a business standpoint. You know, I'm reading, you know, trend reports and all that. So I like a good escape book. Um, so I'm a big fan of the Mitch Rapp series, uh, Vince Flynn, uh, who, who uh, passed away and, and um, has a, a, a writer finishing off. So I think the last book I read, which was probably a couple of weeks ago, is the latest in the Mitch Rapp series. So it's good, you know, fun escapism for me. Excellent. Now that does sound, that sounds good. I think most people need that. Not everybody finds it. They sometimes find themselves back on the phone scrolling, doom scrolling uh, when they should be try reading. to avoid, I, I can get, I can go out in the social media log, but I'm uh, trying to get some distractions there too. Great. Well, Brian Lobley, CEO of Tango, thank you for joining me today on the Health Biz Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.